You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Well, good morning, Christ Walk Church. How's everybody doing today? So, so good to be with all of you um, once again, man, I just, I just appreciate the way that you worship this morning, and um, it's awesome just to look out and, and see people engaged, hands raised, um, singing like with their mouth wide open. It's awesome, and just hearing the holy roar um, coming from, uh, from all of you this morning, just incredible. It's such a, such a sweet presence to be in. I believe the Lord's here with us and that he is going to move um, on our uh, hearts and, and lives this morning. If you've got a Bible um, or a smart device, why don't you turn with me or swipe with me to um, the book of Acts that's in the New Testament. It's going to be right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to start um, in Acts chapter 1. We're going to take a look at a number of different passages today, but kind of our launching point there will be um, Acts chapter 1, and we'll land there momentarily. Um, I don't know if maybe you've heard of, of what is commonly referred to as the Konami Code before, but in, in case you're unaware, um, the, the Konami Code, if you're a child of the 80s, you probably know it well. Um, the Konami Code is a, is a cheat code that appears in many Konami video games. In the original code, the player has to press the following sequence of buttons On the game controller to enable a cheat or other effects. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A, start. Right? Some of you are like, oh, yeah, I get it now. Because people in the room, you've either uh, bought a video game console for your children. You are the one that grew up with those video game consoles. Or perhaps you've heard your parents talk to you about those video game consoles before. The Konami Code was first used uh, in the release of a game called Gradius in 1986, which was a scrolling shooter for the illustrious Nintendo Entertainment System. And it was popularized among North American players in the NES version of a game called Contra. The code has also been uh, later called the Contra Code since it provided the player with 30 extra lives in Contra. The Konami Code was created by Kazuhisa Hashimoto. Yes, I practiced saying that who was developing the home port of the 1985 arcade game Gradius for the NES and finding the game too difficult to play through during testing. The creator of the game thought the game was too hard. He couldn't even play it himself. He created the cheat code, which gives the player a full set of power-ups, which are normally attained gradually throughout the game. After entering the sequence using the controller when the game was paused, the, re- the player would receive all of the available power-ups. I can't help but wonder this morning, have, have you ever been given a task or set a goal that seemed almost impossible? And perhaps you've thought to yourself, maybe you've even said out loud, like, I wish there was an easier way to do this, Right? Like, it would be great if I had, like, a cheat code or something that would unlock some sort of special power or ability in my life for me to accomplish the task at hand. No doubt the first disciples of Jesus felt 
the very same way when he spoke with them the last time. He was leaving to go and prepare a place for them, whatever that meant, right? But in his absence, they were charged with carrying on the family business. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, we hear the words of Jesus, um, what we've come to know and call as the great Commission, And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and when I put myself in the mindset of those original disciples, I can't help but imagine that they thought in this moment, like, hold up, you want us to go and do this? And, and how is it possible that you're going to always be with us if you're getting ready to leave, right? And, and, and then once you read this statement and you realize that it wasn't just for those original followers of Jesus, but it's also for us as well, perhaps you start to feel a bit of this tension too. You know, around here we say that uh, one of our values is Jesus is our message. But the questions that come up is, is if, if we're never generous with our testimony, and we never tell someone else what the Lord has done in our life, is that really a value? Or if we never invite people to come to church with us, can we make the claim that Jesus is our message? If, if we don't actively and intentionally share our faith with those around us who we know are unbelievers, then are we really living out that value? I, I think we all know the answer to those questions. And, and here's the tricky part about the Great Commission, is that the task that has been given to those of us that follow Jesus, the calling that is shared by each and every one of us is something that is impossible for us to do. Yeah, Jesus told us to go and do something that you and I, we will never be able to accomplish at least with our own strength and in accordance with our own capabilities. And so you and I, we, we, need, we need help. We need a, a cheat code. We need a special power up so that you and I are able to get the job done. And today we're wrapping up a series called The Holy Spirit where we've been taking a look at three different aspects, the provision, the product, and the power of the third member of the Trinity, also known as the Holy Spirit. Back in part one, we talked about the provision of the Holy Spirit, namely what the Bible refers to as spiritual gifts. And last week in part two, we talked about the product of the Holy Spirit or what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you missed either of those messages, you can find them on both our YouTube channel or Anywhere you listen to podcasts, I'd encourage you to go back and check those out. But for the time that I have left today, I'd like for us to zoom in on that third and final aspect of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you're taking notes, maybe you want to write these down. Um, we're going to start by taking a look at three distinctives 
of the Holy Spirit, and then talk about four ways that, that then uh, the Holy Spirit results in certain things in uh, taking place in our lives. So we'll begin with these three distinctives, and the first distinctive is the promise of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost is, is a Christian holiday which takes place on the 50th day or the 7th Sunday with penta meaning 50. So it's the 7th Sunday, 50 days after Easter. And it commemorates the original day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit filled the apostles and the other followers of Jesus Christ, the 120 that were gathered in the upper room while they were all together in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks. But the coming of the Holy Spirit didn't begin there on that day, but rather it began with the promise that it would be given to us by Jesus himself. In John chapter 1, verses 33 and 34, we read, I didn't know he was the one, this is John the Baptist speaking, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Later in chapter 14, we read this. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, a representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The next chapter, John 15, Jesus says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And then in John 16, verse 7, Jesus tells his followers, But in fact, it's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate will not come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. So we have that promise of Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I'm leaving, but I'm still going to be with you because my spirit is going to come and take part in this with you. So not only do we have the promise of the Holy Spirit, but the second distinctive is that we have the prescription of the Holy Spirit. Simply put, a prescription is a rule or a course of action to be followed. When we hear the word prescription, we often think of uh, in terms of uh, medications. And uh, in order to cure what ails us, we take a regimen of pills that have been prescribed to us by a doctor. And in much the same way, to fulfill the calling on our lives as Christ followers, Jesus has given us a prescription as well. In John chapter 20, verses 20 through 22, it says, As Jesus spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
See, first, he reminds his followers of their mission, that they're being sent out to make disciples of all nations. But he knew that that task was too difficult for them to take on alone, that they were going to need some help. And so then he points them in the direction. He tells them how they are going to be able to do it by receiving the Holy Spirit. Paul echoes this thought in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, where he says, Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, in other words, we must allow the Holy Spirit to have complete control over us. See, you and I know that, that when a person becomes inebriated with wine... That the alcohol has such an effect on their bodies that they begin to lose control of themselves and behave in a different manner. And Paul tells us that that living a lifestyle like that, that that will only lead us to ruin. It, It will only destroy our lives. But when we become filled with the Holy Spirit, however, when we give him control... Yes, we will lose control of ourselves. We've talked about the importance of that in the past two messages, that if we're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, if we're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, then it's dependent upon us giving away control, letting go of the wheel, and and allowing the Holy Spirit to take first place in our lives. And, And when we do that, We will lose control of ourselves, but it will be in a way that honors God and allows us to operate in the gifts that he's given us and to produce his fruit in our lives. So we have the promise of the Holy Spirit. We have the prescription of the Holy Spirit. And the third distinctive that we see here this morning is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And here's where I really want to kind of dig in and spend the remainder of our time here today. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, Luke records the very last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on this earth before he ascended into heaven. And many scholars believe that it was a continuation of the earlier discourse that we read from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And in Acts 1.8, we read this. It says, but you will receive power. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when I read that, I I, like, what an incredible thought here for the disciples. And, And ultimately, for you and me, any one of us that would choose to follow Jesus Christ after this point. What an incredible thought for us of what's what can take place in our lives and and what we've been called to as his followers. And and what we see here and, and what Jesus was telling his disciples in that moment is that the spirit of Christ that was with them was now going to dwell in them. The spirit of Christ that was with them, that they'd walked alongside, that they'd interacted with over the past three years, now something was going to transition and it would now be inside of them. And and there's, there's an important word here 
in this passage that if you're not careful, you can overlook it. And, and it's a word that we're going to see repeated again, again, and again. And it's this word right here. It's the word and. This is a hugely important word when it comes to the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his people. Because it communicates to us a truth that receiving the Holy Spirit is, is not simply about having an experience, but it's about being empowered for service to fulfill God's calling on our lives. When, when we follow Christ, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, then his spirit comes to indwell or comes to live inside of us. And then as a result, we are called to participate in his mission to seek and to save those who are lost. And, and we do this by bearing witness both in and with our lives. And, and we throw that word witness and, and we see it here. You will be my witnesses. We, we say that word a lot, especially in the church, that we're supposed to witness, we're supposed to be a witness. And, and witness simply means to serve as evidence that something is true or real. And you and I, we've been called to serve as that evidence that something is true or that it is real. That, that we've been called to be a witness in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so since, since we don't live in Israel, let me see if I can break that down, what that would actually look like for us here in this modern time. The to be a witness in Jerusalem, those would be uh, the people that are, are closest to us. That would be our family and our closest friends and, and the people of our church, those who are most like us in our closest inner circles that we need to be. We've been called through the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to those people. To be a witness in Judea for us means our larger community who sees things from a similar perspective. This would be things like other believers or other churches in our greater community. And then to be a witness in Samaria would be uh, toward those who they may know who Jesus is. And they might even claim to be a Christian, a Christ follower, but they aren't truly living a life that is surrendered to him. We know plenty of those people. And then finally, to the ends of the earth, that's those people who have never heard the gospel. They've never stepped into right relationship with Jesus Christ. They, they, they may be unaware of Jesus altogether. We've been called to be a witness in all of those areas. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. W.H. Griffith Thomas says this. He says, they were now to be witnesses, speaking of this passage out of Acts. They were now to be witnesses, and their definite work was to bear testimony to their master. They were not to be theologians or philosophers or leaders, but witnesses. And whatever else they might become, everything was to be subordinate to the idea of personal testimony. It was a call, it was to call attention to what they knew of him and to deliver his message to mankind. Their calling is also our calling this morning. 
And what we need to understand before we move any further is that, yes, our relationship with Jesus is 100% personal. But under no circumstances was it ever meant to remain private. Yes, our relationship with Jesus is personal, but it cannot remain private. You and I have been called through the power of the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses in this world. And so then we must receive the Holy Spirit. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to do that. And that brings up some other questions. Like, what happens when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? What, is that, what does that look like? And what are the things that are going to be added to my life? And so for the next few minutes, we'll wrap up this message by talking about four results of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Four results of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And the first result is greater proof. Greater proof. Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, Then everyone, talking about this original day of Pentecost, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's our word. And began speaking in other languages or in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Over the years, this passage, this verse, and, and some subsequent verses that we're going to take a look at, uh, some of them here this morning, they've caused a great deal of misunderstanding and perhaps even some discomfort to a lot of believers. Some have even said that this particular aspect of the Holy Spirit is not relevant to the lives of believers today and that it ceased with the death of the original apostles. And, and as I mentioned before, when we follow Christ and we, we accept him as Lord and Savior, his spirit comes to indwell or it comes to live inside of us. But here's something you need to know about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want just part of you. He wants all of you. And so what we need to understand is that there is a significant difference between indwelling and filling. See, indwelling is just about input, but filling is about output. And, and then what we see here is that the initial way that Jesus chose to fill his followers with his Holy Spirit was for them to speak in other tongues as he gave them the power to do so. And I would argue here this morning that if it isn't still the initial evidence today, that it's least it's at least the normative evidence in our time here in modern times. And, and throughout the book of Acts, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues is often a byproduct of that experience. And even in the few times that it isn't, it's still clear to us by the way that we read the scriptures that there was some sort of output, some sort of physical evidence based on the other accounts from the scriptures that strongly suggests that tongues was a part of that result. And, and I by no means want to put God in a box here this morning. 
and limit him to how he may or may not choose to move in the life of one of his followers. And quite frankly, I'm much more interested in the fruit of the Spirit being produced in one's life than I am whether or not they happen to speak or to pray in tongues. But my goal here this morning is to simply remove the fear and the discomfort that is often associated with this aspect of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's mysterious. And and some might even say that it's weird. But, But that was not uncommon, even on the day of Pentecost, when this initially took place. Despite this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit that day, there were bystanders in the crowd that looked at those that had had this experience and said, they're just drunk, a bunch of drunks. And, and I'm a Pentecostal born and bred. I'm wearing a shirt that says Holy Ghost on it for crying out loud. You should see the looks I get in Walmart. For almost 42 years, I have experienced this, and I've been looked at as like one of those crazy Pentecostals, right? That is an exp- that's a very real thing. And it's because of the mystery of this aspect of the Holy Spirit. But ultimately, what I hope that all of us will come to, the place that we'll come to in our lives is is that the Holy Spirit has so much more for us. And I believe that God wants what is best for his children. So you and I, when it comes to leaning into the fullness of what the Holy Spirit has in store for our lives, we have no need to fear. So when it comes to speaking in tongues as the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life, I just happen to believe that that is something that the Lord wants for everyone. 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 2, Paul says this, For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. Paul's saying the same thing, or I'm trying to say the same thing this morning that Paul's saying all those years ago. He says, a person, in verse 4, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. They are edified personally as they, they talk only to God. And then he says, I wish you all could speak in tongues. In other words, this is something that is available for everyone. Later in the chapter, Paul tells us that that tongues is actually a sign for those that do not believe. He says, so you see in in, uh, chapter 14, verse 22, so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Your prayer language serves as proof to those outside of the faith that you have been filled with the Spirit of God and that there is something that is different about you, that you have been set apart and consecrated for a special mission and a special purpose. I read a story once about the renowned artist Paul Gustave Doré, who lost his passport while traveling in Europe. And when he came to a border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards. Giving his name to the official, Dore hoped that he would be recognized and allowed to pass. The guard, however, said that many people attempted to cross the border by claiming to be persons that they were not. Dore insisted that he was the man he claimed to be. 
all right, said the official, we'll give you a test. And if you pass it, then we'll allow you to go through. And so handing him a pencil and a sheet of paper, he told the artist to sketch several peasants standing nearby. Doré did it so quickly and skillfully that the guard was convinced that he was, in fact, who he claimed to be. His work confirmed his word. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life confirms the word of God in your life. And it serves as proof that you are a follower of Jesus and it points people in his direction. It says, don't look at me, look at him. Fulfills the mission of this house that that we've been called to, to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. That is what the greater proof brings. Second one, not only a greater proof, but also a greater proclamation. A greater proclamation. Acts chapter 4, verse 31, we read this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And, there's our word again, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness couple of our core values we've talked about one of them already jesus is our message another core value here is that generosity is our identity and one of the primary areas that we are to be generous is with our testimony we read this the words of jesus in john 14 it says but when the father sends the advocate as my representative that is the holy spirit he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that i have told you. Luke chapter 12 verses 11 and 12. And when you are brought to a trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And speaking of the of, of being uh, filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John said this in, in Acts chapter 4 verse 20. They said, we cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. That when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, and when he fills you, and when he takes control, you won't be able to shut up about what the Lord is doing in your life. You won't be able to not share your faith with someone else. You will walk around looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And, and we, we see this kind of play out really in our lives in, in three primary areas. That when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to be able to invite people to come to church, to, to be a part of what God is doing here in our church. That if it's a good thing for us, if it's something that, that we value, then we need to invite people to come and be a part of it with us. The second thing is it's going to give us passion to tell others about what Jesus has done or is doing in our life. And then thirdly, it's going to strengthen us to be able to communicate the truth of God's word, even when it isn't popular or readily accepted. I can't think of too many reasons or too many ways that you use that in 2023, right? No, like that's what we need. The ability to say, I'm standing on the truth of God's word. 
And when the people around us are hurling insults at us and they are mocking us and they are claiming that we are intolerant or whatever, that we can remain committed to God and the truth of his word. The result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life brings about a greater proof, a greater proclamation, third, a greater praise. A greater praise. Acts 10, verses 44 through 46. It says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues, here's our word, and praising God. They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. The story goes about John Wesley when he was about 21 years of age when he went to Oxford University. He came from a Christian home and he was gifted with a keen mind and good looks. A lot like your pastor. Yet in those days he was a bit snobbish and sarcastic. Perhaps also like your pastor. And one night, however, something happened that set in motion a change in Wesley's heart. While speaking with a porter, he discovered that the poor fellow had only one coat and lived in such impoverished conditions that he didn't even have a bed. Yet he was an unusually happy person, filled with gratitude to God. And Wesley, being immature, thoughtlessly joked about the man's misfortunes. What else do you thank God for, he said with a touch of sarcasm. Porter smiled and in the spirit of meekness replied with joy, I thank him that he has given me my life and being, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. Deeply moved, Wesley recognized that this man knew the meaning of true thankfulness. And many years later, in 1791, John Wesley lay on his deathbed at the age of 88. Those who gathered around him realized how well he had learned the lesson of praising God in every circumstance. Despite Wesley's extreme weakness, he began singing the hymn, I'll praise my maker while I have breath. One of the greatest witnesses to Jesus in our life is to praise him regardless of our circumstances. And you and I, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in this endeavor. And so when you have a flat tire, will you choose to praise him? When your son or daughter is living in rebellion, will you choose to praise him? When your bank account is in the red, will you be able to praise him? When the boss says, I'm sorry, but we have to let you go, are you going to be able to praise him? When the doctor says it's cancer, are you going to praise him? When your spouse says divorce, are you still going to praise him? Because what the unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable is when the people of God give praise to their God when it makes absolute zero sense to do so. The only way that you and I can do that is through the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life brings about greater proof. It brings about greater proclamation, greater praise, and then fourth and finally, greater prophecy. Greater prophecy. Acts 19 verse 6. 
Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues. Here's our word, and prophesied. This is a direct fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Joel that I read earlier. That then after doing all these things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Prophecy, we, when we hear that word, we think about the foretelling of the future or to you know, predict what's going to happen. But it also means to be able to teach or admonish, or to provide comfort to another person. Years ago, a hydroelectric dam was to be built across a valley in the state of Maine. The people in the town were to be relocated, and the town itself was going to be submerged beneath the water. During the time between the initial decision and the completion of the dam, the town, which had once been well-kept, fell into disrepair. Why keep it up now? Explained one resident, where there is no faith in the future, there is no work in the present. So we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand in the midst of the chaos of this world and point people to the hope that we have in Jesus. That's that's prophecy. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help remind ourselves and help us remind others that we are not living simply for the things that we can see in front of us, that we are living for something so much more. That is prophecy. For those of us who have called on the name of Jesus as the Lord and Savior, that we have faith in a future filled with hope, that is prophecy. And so let's not give up here today. Let's, let's fight against the temptation to simply become complacent. And instead, let's roll up our sleeves and do the hard work that you and I know is 100% worth it. Let's boldly open our mouths to prophesy to anyone who will listen, and even those who won't, that because of Jesus, the best is yet to come. That is prophecy. I can't help but think what might happen. The people of this church opened themselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Not just to indwell, but to fill. Like I'm looking for somebody here this morning that would say, Pastor, I'm not just looking for an experience. I'm ready for and. I don't want to know that I just have the Holy Ghost. I want to do something with it. I'm ready to take a step into and, that, that there's somebody here today that would say, Pastor, I, I, I need a, a touch, a filling of the Holy Spirit fresh and anew, perhaps for the very first time. That there's someone here today that, that you've been holding back and that, that you need the Holy Spirit to empower you to proclaim the word of God with boldness, clarity, and effectiveness someone here today that needs a touch from the Holy Spirit to be able to find their praise in the midst of their pain. There's some sons and daughters in the house this morning that in accordance with the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives that they need to leave here prophesying about the hope that we have 
in Jesus and the future that he has prepared for us. There's some folks here today that need to cast fear and doubt and skepticism to the side and come to the place where they just say, Holy Spirit, whatever you have for me, I want it. And I want all of it. And I receive you today by faith in Jesus' name. See, I don't know about you, but I've come to the place where I want the power of Pentecost to be evident in my life. Not just for an experience, but so that I can fulfill my calling as a witness for Jesus in these last days. That's where I'm at. I'm inviting you to come to that place with me this morning. The band's getting ready to come and lead us in worship this morning. If that speaks to you and you're in that place today, I I would just like to anoint you for a fresh touch, for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit this morning. And so as we stand together all over this house, we prepare our hearts to sing. These altars are open. And if you would say, Holy Spirit, I want everything that you have in store for me. And I receive it today by faith. If that's you, I want to invite you to come forward to be anointed. And I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to move in your life in a new and a special way here today. Let's worship the Lord together. If that's you, you may come. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.